Reading today is from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. It can be found on service sheets or on page 1,228. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you would that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and and has his his son Jesus Christ has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thank you very much for reading, Chloe. Uh, On my last day at one of the schools I went to, it was also the last day of the headmaster who was at the school. He was retiring, and he was saying goodbye. And in his goodbye speech, he said, I'm always going to remember my first and my last class, which was a bit terrifying to those of us who were his last class. We thought, gosh, are we going to be how he remembers his career? Terrifying. Um, But maybe the same is true in some sense of preachers as well. Maybe they are particularly remembered for their last, first and last sermons. Uh, My first sermon here was, uh, I'd I'd have thought, probably pretty unmemorable, given it was a pre-recorded thing uh, for a Zoom service. Uh, Something from Act 17, I think I remember. And uh, a few chapters after Acts 17, in Acts 20, there is a much more memorable sermon recorded, uh, the last sermon of Paul to the Ephesian elders on the beach at Miletus. He said in that very memorable and powerful farewell sermon, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commit you to God and the word of his grace. What a wonderful way for the Ephesians to have remembered their teacher and preacher, Paul, uh, to have remembered he committed them to God and the word of his grace. Whenever Christians part ways, we can commit 
one another to God and to his grace and his word. We may be separated by seas and oceans, by distance and borders, even just the border between Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire, but we can still commit one another to God because we have the same loving Father, the same eternal word guiding us. Acts 20 is a memorable, therefore well-worn passage of goodbye. Preachers would often use it. So I remember last year I went down to the goodbye circuit tour, really, of the Bishop of Maidstone, Rob Thomas, as he was finishing in office. And I thought to myself on the train down to London to this gathering, I wonder if he's going to preach from Acts chapter 20. Sure enough, uh, the reader stood up and said, today's reading is 20th chapter of Acts. I thought... Good choice. That's a fairly sound, solid, last sermon choice. So he committed us likewise to God and the word of his grace. Uh, I've not chosen Acts 20 today. Instead, my farewell is really from another apostle, from John. Uh, we've been tracking one John, this epistle, First uh, John, through since Christmas, I think. And it's very fitting, really, to actually conclude the series as I conclude my time here means that I can adopt John's closing words as my closing words. Let's briefly remember, though, where we've been in this letter. The foundation that John laid for us at the beginning was in God's nature. He said, God is light. And much of the letter has been about walking in the light of God. God is totally morally pure, totally good, loving, totally truthful and righteous, And John has called us to walk in that light. God is light in a way that the the pagan gods surrounding uh, John, when he wrote, were not. They played tricks on mortals. They acted capriciously. They engaged in illicit liaisons with mortals and surrounded themselves in luxury. By contrast, the living and true God is light. Walking in that light, John has said, means admitting and confessing our sin, leaning on God for his forgiveness, which he freely offers us. It means following God's good commandments as we know him. It means loving one another, and it means discerning spiritual teachings. There are many hazards for us as Christians walking in the light, and John has not been coy about naming and talking about those. So he's urged us to beware of worldliness, to beware of antichrists, those things against Christ, and to beware of habitual sin. But at the end of the epistle, he's brought it back to a positive vision of the Christian life, a life of confessing the faith publicly, of confidence in the face of the final judgment, of love for one another, and of a wholesome abiding in God's law. And so now we come to the concluding words of John, which, as I say, I'm delighted to adopt as my final words as well. And as John started, as I say, with the nature of God, God is light, so now he's concluding with some of the actions of God. God hears us, God protects us, God reveals himself to us. Verse 14, to start with, God hears us. Let's look at verse 14 again. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
the fact that God hears us is both simple and profound. It's, it's so simple that sometimes we forget about it. We take it for granted. We neglect it. We don't pray to the God who hears us as we should, as we have the right to. And also so profound that if we think about it, we sometimes can't quite believe that God hears us. The one who is the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who sits enthroned upon the circle of the world, he hears us. Yes, he does, John says. He hears us, all and any of us, if we ask anything according to his will. Ah, you might think, well, there's the catch. There's the small print. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That sounds a bit like an insurance company who say to us, you can claim against any liability on this policy we're selling you according to our criteria. Well, hang on. According to your criteria, what are your criteria? What is the small print? Well, thankfully, unlike the insurance company, God isn't secretive about what his will is. We can easily pray according to God's will. He has made his will known to us so that we can pray according to it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the foundation of all of God's law. And as we draw closer to him, we understand more of what that will involves. Well, you might think to yourself, well, if drawing closer to him, we get to know more of uh, who he is, what his will is, and we can then pray according to it, does that mean that prayer which God really listens to, access to God's listening ear, to his throne room, is the preserve principally of deeply thought out Christians, Christians who spend a lot of time in study and thought about what the will of God involves, so that they can then pray according to it? Well, no. The youngest believer, the one who has only just come to know Christ, has some appreciation of God's will, some sense of it, and can pray according to it. As Polly mentioned in the prayers, we've been having a global prayer initiative this past 10 days called Thy Kingdom Come. And just in that one line of the Lord's Prayer is the the sense of how the Christian faith turns things around. And any believer in Jesus understands how the Christian faith turns things around from life being about me to life being about him. Thy kingdom, your kingdom, come. No longer me, 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 my will, but yours. No longer me, 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 me first, but instead love your neighbor as yourself. And as we appreciate those values, we can pray according to them. And so our prayer is heard by God. It is acceptable to God. So we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. May you be known and glorified. May your praises be sung. May your church grow. May your son, the Lord Jesus, return to claim the kingdom that is his. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Likewise, we pray, give us all our daily bread including Mrs. So-and-so who is struggling with this or that, and please provide her with that which she needs to sustain her in life and in Christ. Forgive us all our sins, including my cousins and my neighbours who don't think they know they need forgiveness of sins. Please forgive them their sins. 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, the evils of war. Restrain and end wars. The evil of poverty, grant relief from that. The evil of disasters, give mercy where they occur. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And knowing that God hears us, we especially pray for holiness. Take a look at verse 16 again. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life because God hears that prayer. A sin that does not lead to death, uh, there's only one unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, as in a rejection of the forgiveness and mercy that the Holy Spirit provides, that he mediates from the cross. No other sin necessarily leads to death if God grants repentance, if we turn back from it and lean on him in faith. And so knowing that he hears us, let us ask all the more for such humility, such repentance, both for one another in our daily lives and also for friends and neighbours outside. God hears us and God also protects us. Look at verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. The one who was born of God, that is the Lord Jesus, he keeps us safe. He protects us actively. Yes, he's sitting there at the Father's side, interceding for us, asking the Father to intervene for us, but he also actively intervenes himself. He protects us from heaven. And that protection really matters. Look at the second part of verse 19 to see why. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The end of verse 19 says the whole world is under the control of Satan, the evil one. His power, thankfully, is limited. Uh, He's not in any way on God's level. He's not his equal. He's under his control. He's limited. But he does exercise that limited evil, that limited power across the whole world, which is in some sense under his control. So wherever we go, whatever we do, wherever, whoever we're with, whenever it is, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Christian, dost thou see them on the holy ground, how the powers of darkness compass thee around? Christian, dost thou feel them, how they work within, striving, tempting, luring, goading into sin? Verses from Bishop Andrew of Crete, a 7th century successor of Titus. The good news, though, in the context of that evil surrounding us, encompassing us round, is that God protects us from it. Jesus actively protects us from that siege. The one who was born of God keeps us safe, in the words of verse 18. We're not alone in the Christian fights. So we do strive against sin ourselves. We do pray against it for one another. But we also rest on God's protection, as provided by what Bishop Andrew called the merits of the cross, but also actively afforded today by Jesus. That's a a valuable protection, a valuable assurance 
for us whether we're parting ways today or not. All Christians, wherever they are, face spiritual opposition. The devil's at work here in Little Shelford and in Stevenage and elsewhere. And I'm therefore expecting some degree of spiritual opposition as I begin ministry in my new sphere. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't be doing my job properly. And likewise, for any of us in the course of our daily Christian life, we should expect the devil to be at work in tempting us to conceal faith, tempting us to tacitly worship idols, to cut corners in our care of others, and to neglect prayer and holiness. In all of these challenges, and many more, we are not alone. We have a protector, the one who was born of God. He keeps us safe. It's no surprise, therefore, that at his final sermon I mentioned earlier uh, on the beach at Miletus, Paul said to the Ephesians that he entrusted them to God's care. He entrusted them to the one who protects them. And now John is just doing likewise, as his brother apostle did, to his correspondents, entrusting them to the protection of the one who would keep them safe. God hears us. God protects us. God also reveals himself to us. Uh, Have a look again at verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. He has given us understanding. Jesus is the full revelation of God. In him, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. We just look at the Son of God, we just look at Jesus, and we see the fullness of God dwelling in him. He's not among us in person right now. We can't look at him as we look at each other in physical form. He has ascended as we remembered Ascension Sunday last week. But we do have here in the Bible his words, his ministry, his actions recorded for us so we can see him in that revelation. Now you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, the doctrine of revelation, this is bread and butter stuff, this is basics, this is milk, not solid food. Why, John, are you finishing your letter, which has contained so much depth, so much meat for us to grapple with, with this comparatively basic doctrine. Why didn't you begin your letter, John, with telling us about God revealing himself in Jesus and then finish with something a bit more profound? Likewise, you might think to me, uh, Edward, why would you make your last point from this pulpit, a point that's really, you know, belongs in a Pathfinder's talk about how revelation operates uh, or a talk from summer camp? In fact, the, the second day at the children's Christian summer camp that I help with every summer. Day two, the talk is entitled God Reveals. So there we go, straight out of that. And uh, if we are remembered for our beginnings and our endings, you might be thinking, do you really want to be remembered for giving uh, that sort of basic point as your last one? Well, John might respond to that criticism about his letter, how he ends it, uh, by saying... Well, it's all very well for us to desire deeper spiritual insights, to desire that meat, that solid food of the Christian faith, to to develop and go on in it, as long as we don't move on from the basics. Repeating the basics uh, frequently, he might well say with Paul again, is no trouble for me 
and is safe for you. And so he's not ashamed to finish this letter with some spiritual ABC, some grandma sucking eggs. God reveals himself in Jesus. And that's especially important if we consider that final mark of application that he brings that to in the the literally last verse of the entire book. Verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. John's probably thinking to himself, if we are all convinced of him who is true, revealing unto us God, then why would we bow down to that which is simply invented, that which is not true? If we know that Christ is God, why would we imagine that anything else is God? Idols. Why would we imagine that wealth is God, or that physical health is God, or that public approval of what we do and who we are is God, or that life experiences are God, or that education and learning is God, or that self-realization is God. If we know that Jesus is God, none of those idols have power. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Here then is John's final note in this letter to us. There is truth and error in this world. God has given the truth above all in Jesus Christ. Therefore, let's worship him and not idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are light, perfectly pure and holy. And thank you that you, such a God, hear us as we speak to you. You protect us every day of our lives and you reveal us, reveal to us your nature in your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. May we all, whether we are near or far, abide in him now and forever. Amen.